This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Hello and welcome to Disaster Girls, a podcast about disaster movies. I'm your host, Amanda Smith, and with me today, we've got Clay Keller. Hello, Clay. Hey, Amanda, how's it going? Good, how are you? So, Clay, what podcast do you come from? What, uh, what podcast do I come from? Where do I hail from? Um, Yeah, uh, I do a show called Screen Drafts. Uh, it's a movie uh, ranking and discussion game slash uh, podcast that, uh, well, heck, you've been on it a couple of times. I assume yeah. uh, uh, probably a lot of your guests have uh, come through the virtual draft table uh, at one time like or another. There's got to be some Venn diagram overlap on that. For yeah, sure. I would yeah. imagine so. Um, but yeah, it's uh, if, if you like movies and you like a little bit of uh, strategy uh, and a little bit of uh, playful contentiousness, uh, it's the... Uh, that's the show for you, but that's the show I do. Yeah. Screen drafts. Well, the plug right up top. I wasn't ready for that. That was. <laughs> well, I realized I didn't I didn't give like give any explanation of who you are. So I figured I'd let you do mm. it. Do the plug up top. Thank uh, you. But what? so you brought with us the movie Daylight. What is oh, man. what made you pick? Because you've been adamant about doing Daylight for a long time now. Yeah. Well, and what yes. was it? Um. So, God, it might have been so long ago that it was literally during lockdown. It might have been like a year it's and a half been, or two years ago. It's been a long time. Uh, <laughs> that I uh, was watching uh, movies with my roommates, as people were wont to do during lockdown. And uh, uh, we watched um, Dante's Peak, uh, which is a great, a great a, a, I almost said a great show, like I'm 85 <laughs> years old. A great movie. Uh, I'm sure you've covered it on this show already i have to imagine yes with phil dante's actually peak. yes oh with phil with, with phil yeah phil wanted to do dante's peak and it was everything i could have hoped it would be it's i love dante's peak it's i dante's peak i think i think daylight is actually a, a better movie uh but i will say dante's peak uh the model work i mean there's tremendous model work in this film as well the model work in dante's peak is some of the most convincing model work I think I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, so shout out to Dante's Peak for that. We watched uh, Dante's Peak and then whatever streaming service it was on uh, said, you know, up up next, I think it was Hulu. It was like, keep watching because the next movie is Daylight. And I, I can count on maybe two fingers the number of times I've just sat and let a streaming service like just autoplay the next thing I'm going to watch. Uh, but since these were, I guess, since these were both disaster movies, both written uh, by the same screenwriter, it was like, hey, Day Daylight's the, the the perfect pairing with Dante's Peak. Uh, and I'd heard about Daylight for years. Uh, people who listen to my shows know that one of my favorite things that can happen in a movie is that circumstances are such that the entire cast is is wet for most of the, the running time <laughs> of the film. I I like to I like it when the cast of the movies I'm watching uh, had an absolutely miserable time on set. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, and I had known that this is a like very submerged movie and I just had never watched it. And Hulu said, we're, we're doing it tonight. It was a spontaneous uh, double feature with Dante's Peak. And then I immediately went on Amazon and bought this Dante's Peak Daylight uh, Blu-ray two pack here oh my gosh uh and then the, the se second thing i did after that was i i dm'd uh you guys and i said i got gotta do have you done daylight gotta do daylight um and now it's finally uh happening after all Amazing. these things so i did not realize it was the same screenwriter that's incredible now leslie I need boehm boehm leslie boehm this, okay. this guy's name is yeah god now i need that double pack 
for sure. I think I have Dante's Peak on DVD. I don't care. I want the twofer. Oh, and there's great special features, too. There's like a making of and a, a commentary, <laughs> a music video. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good Amazing. stuff on oh, here. God, I love a music video for who does. Because when I think of Dante's Peak or Daylight, I'm like, man, I want to see the mid 90s music video that's so with the clips for that. Because, you know, it's going to have all the great clips. Oh, I, I can't remember who performs it. Uh, the song, which plays over the end credits, is called Whenever There Is Love. Uh, is that, and I don't know. A, is who, that Diane Warren? Oh, I mean, probably. I, yeah. I would say there's a there's a very good chance it's a Diane Warren. Uh, I don't remember who performs it, but that is the great thing about they went so overboard in the 90s with these pop songs uh, written for movies that the movie could have uh, no romance in it, really. It could have no really uh, no. organic reason why it would have like a pop ballad associated with it. But then lo and behold, the end credit, you get to the. <laughs> 30 seconds into the end credits and Diane Warren comes in. You are never going to guess. I was wrong. It's not Diane Warren, but you are never going to guess who the lyrics and who and who sung it, who wrote the lyrics and who sung it. Is it is it somebody? Well, I never guess it because it's like deep, deep knowledge or like. No, it's not like because they're so obscure. You will never guess it because you would just not put that together in the 90s. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, is it, this is this uh, is a throwback oh. singer. Oh, I don't know. Is it Diana Ross? No, <laughs> but you're not Don- Donna Summer. <laughs> Donna Summer. Donna Summer sings oh, it. Oh, yeah. Well, and she fabulous. wrote the lyrics. Unbelievable. Didn't um, didn't yeah. put that together before. But yeah, that's that's Donna Summer. Yeah. I love Stallone, too. So there was the, I, it, everything about this movie. And, and I didn't know who any of the supporting cast was. I, I didn't know anything about it, really, except for that it was Stallone. And on the poster, he is up to his waist in water yeah and that was enough to sell me yeah i mean that's what the premise of it which the premise is that the holland tunnel which is a tunnel that connects new york to new jersey going under the hudson river has through a series of completely unexpected events um caved in and the unexpected events are someone is illegally transporting very flammable material which we learn about in the first few minutes. And then separately, someone, some tweakers steal diamonds from a guy with a dime, with a briefcase handcuffed to his wrist. And then they crash their car while trying to escape into the toxic waste in the Holland tunnel, thus creating a giant explosion and shutting down, trapping people in the Holland tunnel. It is like the first 10 minutes really the first 20 minutes of this movie until the actual accident happens is such a series of unrelated events. And I love it so much. I love everything about this movie, not being like, this is a threat that could have happened. It's this was a series of bad timings. An incredible. uh, Yeah. uh, Just (laughs) a comedy of errors uh, leading up to, to this disaster. But yeah, I love, they set up that the movie opens at like the dock. And it's like, I don't know, criminals or terrorists or somebody buying toxic chemicals. And then and then they are gone. Ten minutes in after the thing has exploded, those characters are never heard from again. That plot is completely dropped and it means nothing. Uh, You get as you know, uh, you get. But I love movies used to. And I'm sure doing this show, Amanda, the phrase movies used to uh, is probably (laughs) said constantly. Yes, but especially disaster movies used to take the time 
to introduce you to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, then you care more about the characters when thing, bad things start happening or uh, uh, they're thrown into peril. But also you just get uh, a richer feeling story and movie experience. You get more bang for your buck. You get to see, you don't meet Amy Brenneman inside the tunnel and then she just says, I'm a playwright and I'm having an affair with a married man. You get to see her shitty apartment. You get to see her kill a cockroach her whole scene, you know, all that great stuff with her. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's a very satisfying throwback opening to this movie where everything you said, it just, it's a series of not seemingly unrelated, but genuinely completely unrelated scenes. Nothing is connected. One after the other for 20 minutes. Um, and, yeah, and then the bridge explodes and uh, you get a disgraced former emergency services uh, chief. Yeah. This is like this and Volcano are the two great (sighs) 90s references to like it's the two great moments for emergency management in film is this and Volcano completely. Yeah. And you need both of them because I feel like Volcano gives you a much more uh, beat by beat uh, explanation of how emergency services work. It's much more procedural. Uh, This one is kind of he's like the like lone cowboy out there just slinging emergency services on on <laughs> on, on on his own with very little very little help on the outside it's funny because they're they're kind of two they're two sides of the same coin and what's interesting is that in both so t- tommy lee jones it basically there is a a strong anti-california bias in the way that they talk about emergency management services in different in in movies apparently because in cal in volcano tommy lee jones has been brought in to handle, you know, to be the head of e- of EMS, and he's from like Kansas because he's Tommy Lee Jones, and he is seen as the he is clearly the only person capable enough to do that. No one else in California is. Meanwhile, you've got on this one, Sylvester Stallone has been replaced by quote unquote Mister California, who's taken his job, and he is blatantly incompetent and dies off screen within minutes, <laughs> leaving <laughs> Sylvester Stallone the unofficial king of EMS, oh. and. That's so good. But that's how, by the way, in the field, that is how in an emergency situation, whoever just stands there and says, I know the most about it, is going to be the one who becomes in charge. That's actually how you take control of the emergency yeah. management. And department. they will have been disgraced in a scandal that wasn't really their fault. It wasn't. They took the fault. fall for somebody or they got framed mm-hmm. or something happened. If But be it if you're in these movies, if you're a, a former cop, if you're a former firefighter, if you're a former EMS chief, if you uh, worked sanitation, there have been something in your past that uh, led you to be disgraced. And now you're doing a uh, service uh, job and people treat you like you're a child. <laughs> Even, yeah. though, even if you're Sylvester Stallone and you're <laughs> gigantic. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the entire, you know, obviously Dan Hedaya is there as like oh, the shifty buddy. guy who threw him under the bus. And he like, but I they're like buds. They're, they're buds, but like they're not. And apparently it was his like Dan Hedaya's brother-in-law was the guy that he threw Sylvester under the bus to save metaphorically, not literally. We have, do you have to clarify yeah. that with disaster movies? I don't think it's I don't think you I don't think any human being could in 1996 could be physically capable of throwing Sylvester Stallone under a bus. Oh, no, absolutely not. That was a a large man at that point. I do love like, you know, to be a screenwriting geek about it for a second. I always like to look to see what happens at minute 10. I'm always really curious because at page 10, theoretically, according to screenwriting rules, you're supposed to or at minute 10 is supposed to be the inciting incident. 
And while technically speaking, yes, at 11 minutes, that guy gets robbed of the diamonds off of his wrist. At 10 o'clock, 10 minutes on the dot, Sylvester Stallone turns to face camera for the first time as the reveal. And I love the fact that in this movie, the inciting incident is technically just the appearance of Sylvester Stallone. That's all it takes. That's the point of no. That's the point when the status quo changes is when Sylvester Stallone appears as a cab driver. Well, and they've built that they really milk the tension. Of mm-hmm. When is Stallone going to show up? Like you're watching this movie, you're like, I thought Stallone was in this. Yeah. And then it's so uh, exciting when he finally, finally <laughs> appears. And the camera uh, knows it too. And it, this is directed, by the way, by the guy who did Fast and the Furious. This is directed by uh, unsavory character Rob Cohen, uh, yeah. who yes did direct the what I consider still to be the second best Fast and the Furious movie. Uh, perhaps, perhaps a uh, I I found that to be a controversial opinion. I, I think that's uh, fair. One is one holds up. Yeah, one I is mean, a great movie. One is and great. Rob Cohen's interesting because he has. I mean, obviously, Amanda, I don't know if you know his personal history. He's uh, an awful, awful, awful man who will never work in Hollywood again. But Didn't know that. Very disappointed. Yeah, it's bad oh, stuff. So yeah. I'm not disappointed about Google him. Google it later. <laughs> I'm going to Google it later. I am a foremost Hurricane Heist fan. Like, mm. it's one of my top 10 favorite stupid movies of all time. And I was really pulling for a sequel, but I'm. I oh, will... that's another Cohen joint, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm uh, going to. That's probably going to be the last that. Cohen joint. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, Google him later. But, um, it's interesting because he's capable of making incredibly entertaining movies like this mm-hmm. and like The Fast and the Furious and like, uh, Hurricane Heist. And then he's also capable of making utterly incompetent garbage. Uh, he has just a fascinating, uh, <laughs> filmography. <laughs> but yeah, this is, uh, this is just such a fastball down the middle 1996 movie. Was this the same? Is Cliffhanger also 1996? Um, that is a great question. It has to be right around the same time. Um, yeah. Let's see. I think it may be. This may have been. 1993. Oh, Cliffhanger is earlier than I. It's 93. Oh, so that was like the same time as um, uh, uh, Demolition Man then. Oh, man. What a year. What a year for Sly Stallone. Um, but yeah, this was such a straight down the middle I don't know, just great, sturdy uh, in conflagration of everything you love about the 90s and then everything you love about, you know, the kind of uh, 70s Irwin Allen style disaster movies. And I don't know if there's that many examples of this because like, yeah, Volcano is a great disaster movie, but it's not one of these like uh, eight different strangers thrown together sort of disaster movies and neither is Dante's peak and neither is I I don't know I off the top of my head I I'm sure I mean you have a much better knowledge of these but uh I I feel like this was certainly become sort of a lost art yeah I mean it's interesting because it does it there's a lot of aspects to it that actually to me this movie almost feels like an in in certain ways it's a direct echo um I mean to the the old couple where one dies after swimming through water, like that's a direct right. callback to Dante's Peak or Dante's Peak to um, Poseidon Adventure, and this definitely has this feels to some degree almost like an inverse Poseidon Adventure, um, to me, in a, like in terms of the plot dynamics. But you're right; there's sort of a move away from that sort of group and the collective 
we get a bunch of different introductions to people's stories that we get in the 70s so much. There's such a move away from that by the end of the 80s and heading into the 90s where it becomes much more focused. And this, to me, one of the last, and I only recently, the first time I w- I've watched Daylight Now twice in the last, like I told you, last two months. Um, and the first time I watched it, I had not seen Speed yet. And oh. Yes, I had never seen Speed before. There you go. And- that is a great throw a bunch of character actors together mm-hmm. movie, yeah. And yeah, watching Speed, you know, a set, watching Speed and then watching Daylight again, there's no way to see Daylight and not kind of see it as an almost half-assed attempt to try and replicate what happens in Speed. I mean, in a lot of different ways, but starting with I, the dynamic, uh, Amy Brenneman is basically like, her character is introduced uh, in a very similar way to how we meet Sandra Bullock's character. The sort of like disheveled, walking down the street haphazard, her life's kind of in ruins. The difference is, is that nothing about Sandra Bullock's character in Speed seems sad. She like kind of seems like she's doing a morning after walk. She's smoking cigarettes, but everyone loves her. Everything about Amy Brenneman's character's life looks so, <laughs> so pathetically sad. Like, I I have never once watched a movie and been like, at least I'm not that character the way yeah. that I did when I watched. She gets an apology call from her boyfriend who is a married man while he's at his son's birthday <laughs> <That's> party. Right. <laughs> in the background, his wife. I mean, like in terms of economy of storytelling, they're like, yeah, you you can you convey a lot of information from having the guy apologizing on the phone and then his wife in the background saying, honey, it's time to cut George's cake. That does tell you everything you need to know. It also, I was like, if this man doesn't die in the tunnel, I'm going to kill him. Like, that was my stance after certain point. I was like, I just, this guy needs to, who does that? Who calls to beg their mistress to stay with them from another room at their son's birthday? Trash. That alone. I don't know. It's like, probably, it's, that was probably like a personal anecdote that R- R- Rob Cohen uh, <laughs> brought in. <laughs> this like, is yeah. relatable. Everybody does this, right? Who doesn't call from the, call their mistress from a birthday party? Yeah. Well, he's a like, busy guy. You're right. It's multitasking. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, doesn't she? She has a literal like rat in her like underwear drawer or yes. something. It's it's really is comical how, yeah, she how awful a, her life is. A rat living in her underwear drawer, which is unex- not a place rats normally like to live. I mean, you go into that drawer a lot. Mm. One, one would think. Maybe what? I don't know. Yeah, maybe this is more economy of storytelling. Yeah, she like she just never changes her underwear. Her underwear. Along, yeah. I mean, like I was I thinking yeah. about drawers that I go into in my dresser regularly. Like underwear drawers top. Maybe like the workout clothes drawer. That one a rat could nest in that drawer for yeah, sure. Could, and I would be yeah, com- pretty pretty comfortable there. I mean, for yeah. Amy Brenneman, getting trapped uh for 36 hours or however long this goes in a yeah. collapsing uh tunnel under the river. Uh, with Sylvester Stallone and then a bunch of annoying people is probably the best thing that's happened to her in years. Exactly. I think that that's got to be part of like part of why we see so much of her upsetting background life is so that we can be like, ah, her reward is Sylvester Stallone at the end. Because otherwise it's kind of like, eh, I mean, the guy's still, he, you know, he survived, but he is eh, he is an unemployed EMS guy because his cab is now com- he's going to have to wait for his cab to get through its insurance clearing. Yeah. Like, that man's not working until his, he gets his cab no. medallion back, you know? 
his days just just getting when when, when they escape at the end and they get the, immer- the yeah. blankets put on his days just get started he's got he's got other shit to deal with he's gonna have so much insurance paperwork to go through like i do not envy that the normally when oh. you think about like oh you know then after this movie ends god they're gonna have so much therapy and she's gonna like i want you know you watch a movie and you're like man that those kids are gonna be in therapy the rest of their life in this case, all I could think of was just the insurance paperwork he was going to have to fill out and the and the, and the city-related paperwork he was going to have to fill out. So much. Yeah. So much That's part of the process they always kind of uh, glide over in these movies is the yeah. staggering amounts of paperwork. So much paperwork that they're going to... Like, not everybody has to, but he's definitely going to have to do. He's going to have to do so many city paperwork things. It's yeah. going to be really... It's that's the, His sequel is just unending amounts of arguing with his insurance company about what counts as an act of God, (laughs) which I do think technically like this particular explosion does count as an act of God because again, it it requires so many different instances of people doing illegal shit at the same time. It just seems unlikely otherwise. No, it it is. It is literal proof of God. God exists in this movie (laughs) and he's a, a cheeky little bastard. Oh yes. God has a sense of humor in this movie and also specifically has it out for Vigo Mortensen in this movie. <laughs> I uh, Vigo rules. Vigo's Vigo so, so great. Good in this. He's so good in this. I mean, like I was actively one initially I was like, he's going to be the bad guy because I didn't realize that this was going to be because again, like you said, the first 10 minutes of this movie is just like setting up different people. So I thought he was going to end up being evil somehow because I kept waiting for that. I didn't realize he was kind of just gonna be this Paul Newman character which is kind of who he is he's this like Paul Newman-y guy who then Sylvester Stallone drops and I assume Sylvester Stallone personally drops the entirety of the tunnel on yeah I just was not expecting that at all when the tunnel when that cave that cave happens on him I love yeah this character is so good this like um uh outdoor uh equipment and outdoor wear CEO who's a billionaire but is on his way to go climb some mountain or something uh and yeah just takes it upon himself to be the the leader of the group and they're all like oh my god i love the bit and this is so there is something sort of prescient about this character with like the celebrity ceo who's cool and they all know and he's he's really concerned with getting it all on tape Mm -hmm. and he's like talking to the camera and he's like no i'm gonna go in here and say like it's it's very much uh feels like exactly the same way that character would not be written any differently at all today you're right it's a really prescient like given that there, are he because he is absolutely before social media exists a social media character and yeah initially when we first meet him i thought that it was kind of that he was kind of like a, a caitlin jenner type because like you know we're coming off <laughs> right. we're like you know in, in the sense of like the wheaties box kind of and that this is sort of the mogul version of what a Caitlyn Jenner could have evolved into. But then the further you get into it, it's like, no, he, this is a very specific, very unusual, a character who doesn't yet exist. This is almost the Richard Branson character, yeah. which predates Richard Branson, I think, to a degree. Like, I don't think he was a, really who he was until the late 90s, early 2000s in terms of being like the explorer, vagabond, like explorer yeah. playboy type. And this, you know. Vigo got there first. Vigo got there first. But yeah, you're right. This is... This is a character and maybe one of the only characters who could almost be ported directly into the, an update without it changing at all. And I love yeah. that he's like, as he's rigging up his car, his harness, how he's calling 
and being like, so this guy didn't make it, uh, but you're gonna have to get camera crews ready for when I rescue everybody. I love that he was planning and, you know, you never stop CEOing. That's how you get no. to where you, you know. That's how you get to where, and then you just get a great cavalcade of of other characters. There's the the like, um, are, they, are they juvenile delinquents? There's the prisoners in a prison transport who all seem very young. Yeah, uh, I think they're supposed to be juvenile delinquents. Like juvenile in that, delinquents. I think you're like in you know in juvie of some sort. Yeah, there's a yeah the old couple with the dog. There is uh, a family uh with a teenage uh the teenage daughter is played by somebody who's in things what is what is yeah. her name um uh, she was in she was in some of the halloween uh sequels i believe it's escaping me but she's great yeah, I, I looked uh, her up because she's because there's a couple different actors in this who are, are like specifically from thing danielle harris that's her name yes danielle harris yeah danielle harris but i've seen her in she is still around, I think, uh, yep. in, in stuff on occasion. Uh, we've got Amy, Amy, the aforementioned Amy Brenneman uh, chasing Amy herself mm-hmm. uh, in this movie. Uh, the, I love the um, the tunnel cop. Oh, the George. Uh, George. I, I, there are very few deaths have upset me as much as George's. Like, George yeah. deserved better than that. Yeah, and it. It really, it, a lot of ways, this doesn't really f- seem like a movie that needs really upsetting deaths to like raise the stakes. I mean, the yeah. stakes are, are pretty clear, but yeah, they really just George gets short shrift in this movie, and the way he goes is so like laborious, yeah, <laughs> and intense, getting trapped under that under that jeep or whatever that is, and they, yeah, it's and then he just kind of gets left there to die. That's it's terrible. Like he doesn't even die when he yeah. gets he, first. He gets he's completely paralyzed. Like, okay, they've managed to they've managed to figure out how to save everybody, and everyone's all excited. And then somebody topside does something stupid and creates a pressure inversion, and the tunnel caves in, and he breaks his neck, and from right. the weight neck down is completely paralyzed, trapped Ugh. under a car. And then they strap him to a board to keep him, you know, and are floating him yeah. along, and then. Sylvester Stallone has to be like, because they have to swim through like a tunnel, which he's not going to be able to bring him through. And he, he, Sylvester Stallone is trying to figure out and George is like, no, it's okay. I understand. And then he just, Sylvester Stallone just lets him float off. I. Look, from I mean, one hero to to another, they have like a hero's understanding. They have a hero moment, but like at least ask the guy if you want him to, you know, end it for him like Ooh. a drowning death while strat like well from the neck uh, yeah. down par- like that's he's gonna have a very Stallone should have offered Stallone, Stallone should should have offered. offered to snap his neck <laughs> just like hey listen it's a gentleman one hero to, to another <laughs> <laughs> I could I could snap your neck <laughs> you should snap his neck I yeah but I that that I, this leads me to want to talk about um the effects in this movie and this tunnel they shot in in Italy because it's like in the studio that is the largest submersible, uh, you know, floodable stage in the world or something. And they built this gigantic section of tunnel mm-hmm. uh, and filled it. It's, you know, some, uh, you know, so they, they get trapped in this tunnel. And then at some point the water starts to come in and it is, you know, constantly r- rising, starting about 25, 30 minutes into the movie. Uh, and it looks fan fucking tastic. Everything in this movie, like all of the pyrotechnic effects, mm-hmm. all of the, they've got dozens of cars 
uh, in this tunnel. Shit's on fire. Then the water comes bursting in. It just looks fantastic. Uh, that b- bizarre, you know, this is like essentially straight out of that joke uh, in Galaxy Quest when they have to go through the um, hallway and there's the big like <laughs> s- smashing things in the fire. And she's like, why did, why did he design it like this? This doesn't make any sense. Right. He has to go through those three gigantic. Oh, the the um, fan sequence is so fans. good. They built all this stuff that's so huge and looked just like absolute blast. I hope they had fun making this, you know, as a little kid when I wanted to be an actor, I mean, still as I want to be an actor, that the thing that seems fun is having this gigantic fucking playground built for you and like climbing over over rocks and do- dodging, you know, fireballs and things. And that's totally, if you likes that kind of shit in a movie, this movie has that in spades. But yeah. I love the the bit where George gets trapped and they all have to try and get him out and the the ground is partially collapsed and there's water pouring in and it's such a complicated um you know piece of 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 build it's like multiple levels and things going in the water and I just I, I was very impressed with all of the tunnels and all of the debris and all of the breakaway pieces and all the stunts in this movie I think it's all very very satisfying and old old Hollywood. There's very little uh, noticeable, you know, visual effects in this movie, or you know, computerized visual effects in this movie. There's a lot of great model work, and a lot of great just doing it. You know, if you want to yeah. see it on screen, you gotta build it and blow it up, or build it and not knock it down, or build it and flood it with water. I just, I on on a even if this movie was, and it's this is not a bad movie. The script is fine. The performances are passable. Stallone's great. But even if all that stuff was shit, I just think the pra- the physical execution of the disaster parts of this movie are really strong. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, I, I will always go be very, very, very high on any movie that uses practical because I just, it's so much better. It's so much more tangible. And what's really remarkable with this is how little of this movie feels even like it's done on a set. Like the, the sequence you're talking about where George is trapped with all of the... Um, caved in ground underneath him that doesn't look like styrofoam ground it doesn't look like it's it looks everything looks and feels real and heavy and substantial and very it doesn't feel like this was all shot on a soundstage it doesn't feel like this was all edited in after post I mean I feel terrible for all the actors who had to just be wet and miserable constantly I always feel awful when actors have to be wet and miserable um you know, it's the same thing as like watching Twister and being like, man, poor Helen Hunt just kept getting whacked in the face with corn. But you can't get it any other way. You can't no. get this without having all of that. You can't get that without forcing Sylvester Stallone into a small space and then un- unleashing rats around him. Like, that's just a requirement, you yeah. know? And, ba- and back in the day, this kind of role, and that's why we valued, and why we still value, but, you know, action stars Mm -hmm. so heavily is there is an element of athleticism there is an element of risk an element of danger that goes into doing those roles and not not everybody can do it not everybody is up to the uh up up to the challenge yeah and it's interesting that at this time you know keep coming off of uh doing cliffhanger a few years before like stallone wanted to do these very uh demanding athletic films uh and it's cool to see you know it's uh you know vico too when he's doing that like spelunking in the tunnel and everything it is you're watching somebody you know do a real like feat of 
a strength and there's oh that's something that's always gonna be entertaining to see on screen yeah uh, amy brenneman it. wrestling with a live wire i don't know whether or not that, <laughs> that is a i assume scene. that wasn't a live wire but i don't know for sure they could have just been like amy you know keep the shoes on your hands you'll be fine you will be the shoes on the hands thing is very clever i, I love like that, that moment that's a great moment uh i love i don't know if i love it or if i hate it. you need to have this character uh, and i'm sure You've seen this character a million times. In this movie, it is J.O. Sanders, uh, the dad <laughs> of the young family. Ah, uh, yes. I have so many know, feelings about that entire family. I know and love J.O. Sanders because one of my favorite movies as a little kid was Angels in the Outfield. Oh, and he classic. plays Ranch Wilder, the voice of the angels, uh, who is a great uh supporting character in that movie uh, and he's in a bunch of stuff um mm -hmm. but there's always the character who just for seemingly no reason that no organic reason is just does not trust and does not want to follow the lead character who is clearly the most competent and you know the person you should be following so this one goes down he's like oh yeah i was the ems chief and this guy's like well who says that means we should follow you i i'm distrusting of your authority it's like yeah why there is always that there's character. always that character but uh, as we've learned that is the most realistic character in a disaster because <laughs> if we've seen anything it's that everyone thinks they are more of an expert than actual experts in right. an emergency like, yeah. that's what it is. I used to be like, why does that guy think he's so much? Like, that character always used to bug me. And after 2020, I'm like, nah, that's not tracks. I, I'm surprised there, that any of them are, are listening to what he says and aren't just being like, oh, we should stay down here breathing the bad fumes. Which, by the way, like, we haven't even, you know, talking about what happens after the movie, all these people definitely get cancer and die within the next five years, right? Like, they mm, have been yeah. breathing nothing but those fumes in a contained area. And that's before, like, even before you get into the fact that it's toxic waste, just the burning cars alone, that can't be good for you. And no, the Hudson River water mixed in can't be good for you. No, the 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 epilogue to this movie is just Stallone visiting everybody in the hospital and getting real close and being like, hey, you want me to snap your neck? <laughs> um, it's either that or it's an Aaron Brockovich crossover. Julia Roberts. Just, <laughs> oh, just, man. The <laughs> sequel is just... <laughs> They're all, all of our main characters are like wasting away yeah. in wheelchairs on IVs. And it's a, it's a movie about a crusading mm -hmm. the, the post environmental lawyer. There's a post-credits sequence oh. that we're missing at the end of daylight where Sylvester Stallone's in the hospital and then Julia Roberts walks in in full Aaron Brockovich outfit. Yeah. Just, She's like, I want you to join the class action. <laughs> exactly. Bum, bum. Uh, that but yeah, going back to J.O. Incredible. But no, Geo Sanders and then yeah. and then his wife. <laughs> his wife, who like is making her daughter record her reading from a tour guide, from like a guidebook while they go into the Lincoln Tunnel. I don't blame, I mean, the husband who has also been having an affair, which the daughter knows about. Because that's the whole thing, too, is like the daughter keeps being like, well, what about your, you know, what about whatever Ashley or right. whatever? Yeah. Yeah. So the daughter oh. knows about it, about the affair and keeps calling him out on it. I Linda, that's her name. I want to know everything about this family while in a completely different, uh, like almost uh, ordinary people style film, like a yeah. real, yeah, ordinary people style of just like a family drama. That would be great. I, the, the the restraint shown to not make J.O. Sanders Amy Brenneman's 
married boyfriend. Right. I mean, would that just have been one coincidence? That's like just a bridge too far. You're like, the we'll lose the audience won't buy this. We're, we'll, we'll lose them. We'll lose them if uh, these characters know each other. Yeah, um, that was that was the the suspension of disbelief goes out the window for that. Everything else yeah, I was on board with, but I did briefly wonder it when I realized like that he was having an affair with somebody. That is it going to be Amy? But no, it it's actually somehow even worse because it's some other woman. It's just There's some just other woman. Multiple uh, men in this movie cheating on their wives. Yeah, but we do have two heroes, George and Sylvester Stallone. So, yes. I mean, those are two perfect uh, sh- shining examples of uh, of men. Yeah. Uh, but I, li- I would like to think, you know, and, and who's to say? You, you're probably right. But I would like to think that if I was became one of these uh, cavalcade of uh, C-list, uh, you know, supporting actors in a disaster movie, that I would not be belligerent and uh, distrustful of the obvious hero of the movie. Sure. I would, if someone was like, uh, hey, uh, I used to professionally get people out of situations like this. I don't, I would hope that I wouldn't cross my arms and go like, oh, is that so? I, I would be like, all right, okay, cool. But I love, <laughs> they just double down in this one where James yeah. is like, oh, used to be what hat what? And then the wife's like, isn't he the one who had the scandal? <laughs> like, what? Which was an impressive uh, amount of paying attention to your local politics, by yeah. the way. Like, I, I can tell you pretty definitively, I do not know who the head of our emergency management services are in L.A. No. I absolutely not. No, but I do. I do appreciate that this woman apparently was tracking the news closely enough that she knew about the scandal. The scandal. Yeah, and that obviously is something that like, and which like the scandal has nothing to do with bridge crises, so or tunnel crises. So I personally would be like, well, yeah, he had a scandal, but that was a burning building issue and not a collapsing tunnel problem. Yeah. So two different things, really. Is are entirely entirely different? Different uh, skill sets. Did, did you wish, and this movie is is not overlong, but it's, you don't really need more in this movie, but I was finding myself kind of wishing there was more stuff with the support crew in the, like, traffic office or where, wherever they, or, like, the tunnel traffic authority, I, I, where, like, George's girlfriend is and Dan yeah. and Daya, uh, and the people who bring in, I love the fucking, I love bringing in and I have no idea if this is real or invented, you know, history. But once they get out of the main tunnel and into the like the walls and everything, and they are uncovering these sub chambers and things that were used by the construction workers when they built the tunnel 75 years ago and all this shit. And the people bring out, they're like, we found this in the, the bottom of the archive and they blow the dust off of it. And it's like the construction model that they used and like they can go into this chamber i just loved that shit and wish there was a little bit more of that uh but i just was fascinated by that whole concept where they had anti-chambers built so the construction workers could like live down there while they were building the tunnel and they have like a chapel and all this i just that's the kind of stuff that i i thought was really fun and interesting in this movie and i don't know if it's true or probably is but uh, yeah that feels like that feels like the kind of thing that you learn early on in your research and then are like i have to find a way to bring that in because the whole like uh, the whole living quarters for the people who were working on the tunnel thing is so cool and so specific um i feel like that they had to have learned about that and then 
But yeah, this is not a movie that has a ton of Holland Tunnel lore, which is it I think the movie is not the movie is not preoccupied with it, but I agree. Like that would have also been really fun to get more Holland Tunnel lore. And like I enjoyed seeing the model. And yeah. I this is not a movie for about or 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 you know that is what's the word I want valorizing the pencil neck you know (laughs) this is no you get the sense that Sylvester Stallone's character is good at his job not because he knows more but because he has an inherent kind of gut sense about these things you know and so that's we don't get any sort of we don't get the top side like learn about you know, there's nobody up there being like, you got to go down this tunnel, right. talking to him on radio, guiding him in the way that would be really fun. Because it is an interesting group of people. And like, I love George's girlfriend, would have loved to have gotten spent to gotten to spend more time with her. But this is very much a movie that doesn't it's it's sometimes you get the movies, the the disaster movies are like the community solves the problem. And sometimes you get the disaster movies where it's only one man can solve this problem. And right. when you get Sylvester Stallone, it's going to be an only one man can solve this problem kind of scenario. Now, th- this is like if uh, in Apollo 13, all of the nerds called up and they were like, hey, Hanks, uh, you need to get uh, the tube and tape it to the thing. And Hanks was like, eh, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Don't, yes. Eh, don't worry. Don't uh, uh, leave, leave, leave me alone. This is, this is a one man job. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exactly what this is like. I just, which, you know, isn't a complaint. I do agree, though, like it would have been really fun to get more time with them, especially because, again, we really don't, other than the the moment with George, you know, in the opening when we get George talking to his girlfriend um, when he clocks in for a shift because she's, you know, on the other end of the radio and he's telling her that, like, he's got her watch and he'll tell her something tomorrow when he sees her later, which is that he loves her. He never gets to tell her that. Um other than that, we just don't get to spend any time with her, which makes when she reappears at the end, it yeah. just sort of feels like a like, oh, shit, we have to tie this up because we brought, we set it up in the beginning. But there's no real investment in her. And that's a bummer. I, I'm curious if there was originally more and they just decided uh, they just wanted to spend more time in the tunnel with Stallone. And there was a right for the pacing to keep cutting yeah. up upstairs or something I, I i bet there's some deleted material with her yeah i feel like that's got to be true um especially just because like the set is there's so many extras there's so much going on in that set it looks like it they have created a space to be able to film around and we don't really get a lot of time in it so i, I do think you're right in that sense that there's probably more that got cut for time yeah but you know we have to watch him fall through every single fan uh, which is not a complaint by the way i did need to see him fall through every single one of those fans those fans are so crazy. That fo- that fan <laughs> sequence. I just was looking back at like my I had live tweeted about it and just the all caps. The fans. Are you kidding me? What a sequence was my react my in the moment reaction to it. Sometimes look, sometimes you just have to go through and then this they're like, all right, we can only stop them for 20 seconds. Then mm-hmm. they have to rev back up and he's like timing it and jump. Through. Because otherwise everyone will suffocate. Everyone will suffocate. And it's that is some real like miss, Mission Impossible level mm-hmm. like nonsense in this movie. Which, and honestly, like... and executed on a level that I would not be uh, disappointed with in a, in, a, in a Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, I've been watching them all for the first time recently because um, I've never seen any of them before. And yeah, this yeah. watching this, I was like, oh, this is it. This is very much in line with what we see in the 96, the original Mission Impossible, very much in line with those stunts. 
yeah. and has a very similar feeling to I don't know which one it was, but in one of them, Tom Cruise had to hold his breath for five minutes to go through an underwater thing. That is and- the fifth film, Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. Ah, so yes, that is in Rogue Nation. And so in yeah. Rogue Nation, when he has to do that whole sequence and then he has to be able to get out and it ejects him with a pressure differential, and that felt very similar in a lot of ways to a lot of the things that happened in this film in ways that I was like, that's, yeah, it's not a, it's, they they are, there's a similar kind of ethics in terms of how stunts work in these movies, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Again, I, I yeah. love, I mean, the practical effects aspect is I've watching Mission Impossibles now. It's been really fun to be like, oh, yeah, seeing something tangible is so nice. And then watching Fast X, I was like, and this is all CGI. <laughs> what the fuck? And then even to today, even if it's not all CGI, they uh, over color correct everything so much in post that it looks like it's fake. Yeah. I actually I used to I used to be there fucking opening night for every Fast movie, and I haven't even seen Fast X yet. Fast X has but, extended sequences that are nothing but CGI, which I'm like, ugh. not even like, oh, it's no, this is very like, it looks like video game sequences, which is crazy because the whole thing with Fast and the Furious was that we'll throw it cars out of airplanes, and now they can't even race cars through the streets of Italy. Like, are you kidding? Cra- me? Yeah, they dropped in seven. They dropped those cars out of the airplanes. Is it in eight where they have the crazy magnet thing, or is that in, in F nine where um, there's a big magnet that's pulling cars like through shop fronts yeah i think whatever that is um that might be nine but i remember yeah seeing that in the trailer and being like god this looks so fucking fake and then they put out a featurette where they did it no they they did it they had these like catapults launching cars through storefronts i'm like why would you uh gussy it up so much in post that it just looks fake when you actually shot it that's so yeah, it's, I don't it's know like, if it's just like, it's because they think that's what people are used to seeing now, but like, no, when people so see something that looks real, we don't want it to look more rubbery. Yeah. That's not, we don't want it to look like The Flash. We want it to look like it's real. Uh, But this movie, everything, you know, it's still, you can tell it's a movie, but it, uh, stuff looks very real, which is very, very satisfying. And I it's think- so satisfying. And I, I, I think they do a good job of, uh, creating tension, creating stakes. You know, yeah. Stallone is a real sturdy central figure in this movie. He's he's doing his Stallone thing, and he's mm-hmm. very entertaining. Brenneman, like you said, you know, she's no she's no Bullock in Speed, but uh, she's completely serviceable. She's you know, I great. think she's doing she's doing everything she can with a part that is not giving much. Because once no. we get the little setup of like who she is, then we get a great moment of her driving into the tunnel, singing her version of New York, New York where she's basically telling the city to buzz off because she's right. leaving. Um, other than that, we kind of don't get a lot from her yeah. in terms of interiority. Like, although I do appreciate that at every turn, she's kind of like, I'm not the person to do this. And he's like, you are, there's no one else to do it. Yeah. And I do appreciate that aspect of it. Cause I think that's very real, but you know, this is not a movie concerned with the interior life of a woman who is going to be kissing Sylvester Stallone. Well, and then also, you know, comparing it to speed is tough because speed has this just incredibly unique uh, situation it's created where both the male and female heroes have jobs they have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, Sandra Bullock has a a physical job she has to do in speed and she has to drive the fucking bus. So she's always serving some kind of 
function to the plot as it is. So a necessary function to the plot as it advances. Uh, but then also they have this thing where it's this, it's, they, they just, they, they're able to talk to each other. They're, they're careening and, you know, there's the tensions high and the music's blaring or whatever, but also they're just, she's sitting there and he's on the ground or standing next to her or something. And there are m organic moments where they can talk and, you know, pass the time a little bit and kind of share character stuff. And that would feel there's not really any reason for the characters to do that in this movie except for there's they kind of take a break for a minute in the chapel if i'm remembering correctly yeah. um but she, but also like amy brenneman does not have a job like a you know a responsibility uh in this it's really so stallone's kind yeah of, he is driving everything yeah, absolutely. And like, I mean, it's not as if we particularly need, I don't need to know more about her. It's just that she's not given much to work with. No, it's um, but an that's not, a, and, and that's not a complaint though, in this case, like this isn't a, this is, th that's a, a footnote as far as I'm concerned in terms of like, what, like that's, it's not something I'm going to require from this movie, even when I do require it in other movies, because there's very little else. We don't know anything about Sylvester Stallone's home life. We know nothing about him except that the man used to be an EMS. He used uh, uh, he used to drive a cab and now the cab is blown up and he yeah. wants to get out of the tunnel alive. That's it. That's all we got. He doesn't, That's he's, he doesn't even have like an estranged family no. uh, or like a daughter who wishes he was around more or a, like a pending divorce. Like it seemed like every action yeah. hero in the nineties uh, you know, obviously coming off of the diehard model. Yeah. Uh, it has to, you know, the end goal is to really re reunite with their family or something or prove to their ex-wife who hates them that he's a, that they're a good guy. Yeah. Prove to whatever. the kid that, you know, the Tommy Lee Jones yeah. has to prove to Kelly, his daughter in, in Volcano, that he's a good dad. Like, right. you're right. It is normally. And that's what, you know, thinking about it for a second, as we go back to like the first 10 minutes of this movie that gives us these little mini stories about every single one of these sets of characters. You know, you've got the older couple who's got the dog that they're like very clearly fretting about dog, the doctor appointments. And I don't want to go to that one. He's a quack. And like we're getting all these little microcosms of all these characters and we get nothing about Sylvester Stallone's. He exists from the minute his face turns to camera in the cab and he stops existing once he gets wrapped in those blankets and there is nothing else about him that we learn. There's never a confessional moment about him. Like we don't get that. And that's actually incredibly unusual. Like I don't going it. back to the Dante's peak. Yeah. Going back to the Dante's peak of it. Like Pierce Brosnan's character has a vendetta against volcanoes because one ate his, his wife, like right. every single K Helen hunt in Twister, her dad died from a torn tornado eating him. Like, right. There's none of that with this hurricane right. heist, hurricane heist, <laughs> the, the hurricane kids. is yeah. uh, literally possessed uh, by a demonic force. Yeah. The hurricanes have faces that cackles <laughs> yeah, and they find they chase you and try to eat you. Yeah, that's how hurricanes work. I was when we had when we had the tropical storm, uh, Hillary, I was like, where's the face? Yeah. Show me the face, guys. This is what I've been promised because I've never seen a hurricane in real life. No faces. No, so but it didn't. L.A., you know, they they you could you could probably see the face if you were in maybe Florida. further south. Yeah. 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 I was so bummed. No, no hurricane faces. Um, But yeah, that you're this is this is interesting in the sense that this is the only one of the only disaster movies I can think of where we don't know and they don't care to tell us anything about the hero and they expect us to care about him. And they're right. Purely based yeah. upon the fact that Sylvester Stallone 
And we don't want to see a bunch of people die in, in a tunnel. That's it. That's yeah. all you have to ask of people. Like we're humans. We'll get it. We, I don't need to be told to care about these characters because of a tragic backstory. I'm going to care about them because I too would not like to be stuck in the Holland Tunnel. No, no, not anybody... at all. Not in traffic, not no. uh, with threat of drowning. In no circumstance would I want to do that. You know what did seem fun though is cramming those like explosives up into that mud, that ceiling mm. mud. Yeah. <laughs> when he just stuffs sequence. his whole yeah. arm in there. Just stuffs the whole arm into that mud. Yeah. How did I, I still can't figure out entirely how he wound up getting trapped in the water after the mud, but I'm, I also don't care that much. I did appreciate that, like, in the last few moments, he they want to fake us out that he's going to die. Yeah. And that <laughs> and then he just sort of gets dislodged and we see it happen. We don't even see it happen. It happens off screen. Amy Brenneman gets sucked up to the surface and then his body just kind of floats up shortly thereafter and he's OK. I I didn't understand what happened in that sequence and I didn't care. No. Like who needs to see the hero be saved in his heroic moment? No, 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 unnecessary. They've shown us so much already. Yeah, that I was just fully satisfied with the amount of things I'd been shown at that point. Uh, and if you know they if didn't successfully get the shot of him, you know, whatever yeah. bursting free or whatever, that's that's fine, guys. Fine. You've done such a good job so far. It's yeah, I forgive you. And this really, I mean, like, you know, the explode, this movie really does in terms of density of disaster, which is like one of those big things when you're watching a disaster movie that you're really looking for is the density Uh of disaster. How long do I have to wait between events? And this movie does not disappoint. But yeah, from the the sequence of the explosions in the tunnel, which goes on so long and not in a bad way, it just keeps exploding and more exploding and other things explode. And it's just so good. Great. 96, 97, great years for tunnel explosions between this and then Independence Day has a good tunnel explosion sequence, like solid tunnel explosion moments. That alone is like they could have they could have been good there. But no, once they start flooding and then there's the rolling tanker. Oh, when he outruns the rolling tanker. Great. Great. It's so hard to run in, you know, two and a half feet of water. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is that it's one of those sequences where. You know, you don't always you can't always put yourself in the shoes of the character experiencing something that they've like, I've never had to run a giant ball in a cave like Indiana Jones has. But I have tried to run through like two and a half feet of water. And so I know that feeling. And it's so good. It's 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 incredibly compelling. It's so, so good. I, you know, I I I hope that costuming mocked up some sort of a. I don't know, like a rubber sock or something. Like, I feel like the cast must have had some kind of a special, they all were wearing like water socks oh, under yeah. there or something. So they didn't have to deal with with soggy shoes all day long. Oh, God. That alone, but also aqua socks. Like those are, as I remember from those being a child, like those are so uncomfortable. They always got a blister from them. There was never yeah. a time I wore an aqua sock and didn't get a blister. Maybe they just had like a nice solid pair of Tevas on. I don't know. I just, again, watching that, like, I feel so bad for all those actors who had to be damp for so much yeah. of that movie. Cause there's nothing like sitting around in wet clothes while you wait to reset the shot. Ugh. but it's so entertaining. And I really wish I could pinpoint cause this is, this is a thing I I'm not really exaggerating this at all. I do love like this movie, um, hard rain, mm-hmm. uh, the last hour and a half of Titanic. I mean, th- anything that is like that, where you've got your actors like sludging through water that's getting up to like chest height and they're, you know, holding on to like uh, 
pipes above them to get through the corridor and they have to mm-hmm. take a big breath and go and under and go swim under through a doorway or something. I just love that shit. Mm-hmm. I'm just a visceral, unexplainable physical level. I just am so entertained watching it and I find it thrilling. And it's, I think it's because you can't fake that. Yeah. It's one of the last Those few actors moments had to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Deep Blue Sea, another great example of like yeah. slo- like slogging your way through Deep water. Deep Blue Sea is a fantastic example. Oh. And it's not just the actors. There's really uh, a high level of, uh, you know, mechanical ingenuity in Bill Crawl. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Have you, <gasps> have you seen Crawl? Oh, my God. I love Underwater. Crawl. There's been some good ones recently. Now, Underwater, all the stuff outside of the thing was fake but there's some good in interior w- water stuff on that yeah i i don't like the movie particularly but it has great sequences within the actual like just with like the yeah. the, the 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 water you know the pressure against the panel and then like one of the bolts pops off and the water yeah. starts spraying out and then the whole thing comes i i it is that it is that combination of set building and set design ingenuity uh, and a little bit of danger and a lot mm-hmm. of effort from the cast. And and it helps performances because you can just see it's real exhaustion and real yeah. exertion. Uh, and it, it just, I always love that. And this is just a really, really solid entry into that into that canon uh, that I was discover- just delighted to discover for the first time a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, so man, it's a delightful movie. It's a delightful movie. And like relatively speaking for a movie from 96, inoffensive which is impressive also like there's nothing yeah like even the juvenile delinquents like that whole sequence none of them are in for anything like one is in for stealing phones i think and then the other guy is like i don't know he had some scam running i really thought that the the criminals try to like run the show thing was going to go on for longer but then that one guy just gets fireballed and you're like oh yes i guess that's it for this you know what else he was in, by the way, 97, he was in a volcano. Oh, dang. Yeah, he was the he was the guy who gets arrested by the Mark Furman cop in Volcano. That's it's, very good. He's had a, he had a good couple. What of a filmography. Years. A great filmography. Uh, Trina McGee. That was the name I was trying to remember. She's right. from Boy Meets World. And she I was so excited to see her in this just because like it, it's such a good 90s pull. Um, yeah. And like they don't. No, they're treated fairly compassionately in this. Like Amy, one of the first things that happens is Amy Brenneman's character goes and saves them all and is and has a moment of bravery while she saves them. And like, there's nothing weird about it. There's nothing. It's a for a movie from 96 starring Sylvester Stallone. I was really surprised that there was nothing about this movie. that was like, oh, that didn't age well. Yeah. 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 And all. Yeah. yeah, Strong recommend for if you guys haven't watched it. Strong recommend to just check it out. Really, I I feel like there needs to be, I don't know, some sort of a uh, hindsight Rotten Tomatoes or like a, you know, critics should be allowed to go back and adjust their reviews from 1996 to take into account uh, how much worse things have gotten in the last 25 years in terms (laughs) of movies. Because this is a real, you know, you talk about like a, a Kansas City uh, 10 is a Los Angeles five. A 1996 five <laughs> is a 2023 nine and a half. I mean, it's like, it's just, uh, it looks so much better now in hindsight than I'm sure it did at the time when there were, you know, things like Independence Day yeah. in theaters, you know, other things that were its equal uh, in terms of 
the delightful sort of production qualities that we talked about, but then it's, you know, certainly superior in terms of in, in other areas, you know, coming off of speed. Yeah. Now this movie's coming off of fucking speed. If this movie came out today, it'd be coming off of fuck all. And everybody would be like, ah, that kicked ass. I love yeah. that movie. <laughs> People would be so into this movie now. People would be so, I feel like I agree with you about the idea of being able to like backdate reviews. I also think there is a degree to which like, we should also maybe in terms of reviewing and in terms of how we go back and look back at reviews, like we just, I just talked about a movie. I know that you and I have had some contentious conversations about deep impact. Oh yeah. Um, Bad movie. <laughs> Did you, I, 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 I don't expect that you listen to every episode or any mm. episodes of screen drafts, uh, but deep impact. Uh, I had to do, I had to do battle yet again with deep impact. Something really? I never thought was going to happen. Because you're wrong. Deep Impact oh. is great. That's what happened. You are wrong. Oh, yeah. But reading the reviews from from the 90s about Deep Impact is fascinating because of the fact that people, as they're reviewing this movie, are reviewing it for what it wasn't. And I feel like, and this is particularly true in, in disaster movies, they get reviewed based upon what the reviewer either expected the movie to be about or what they think it should have been. And what it failed right. to do versus grading it on its own terms. And like watching Daylight, I haven't read the reviews, but this movie accomplishes what it sets out to do. It doesn't set out to make it make great art and it right. shouldn't be held to that standard. And so I think that there's a degree to which like we should have a large reckoning about revisiting some of these movies that we've dismissed because they weren't good but it's like well, were they not good or were they not the good that you expected it or wanted it to be and it was never going to be we i exactly. just talked with yeah i just talked about Waterworld with liam o'donnell and i am extremely high on Waterworld, um partly for the kevin costner fact but then also right. it's like genuinely fun yeah it's honestly though not enough not enough people being submerged in water up to their waist in that one. They're really good at staying on top of the water. They do stay one. mostly out of the water. Kevin Costner has a few sequences where he gets extremely, extremely covered in water. And yes, it's, he does get quite wet. He gets wet regularly. Um, and it's not flattering on him at all, which is great. Like, I love that aspect of it. <laughs> right. I love that he doesn't look good in it. Um, but it, again, like with Waterworld, it's just, maybe it's time to break out of the sort of cultural acceptance we have like oh that's a crap movie that's bad that was cheesy that cost too much money let's like maybe reassess these things i think daylight is very much due for a reassessment i'm i'm 100 percent on board and uh hope that in some small way uh you and i doing this is uh ig igniting the uh the the flame here uh that will bring daylight uh back in back into the daylight <laughs> Come on, tunnel crew, let's do this. Um, so I guess that brings us to what was this movie really about? Do you think there was a subtext? Do you think that the the oh, tunnel stood for something? What are you? Uh, did the tunnel stand for anything? Um, I mean, there's probably some, I don't know if there's subtextual, but I think there's probably some themes about crumbling infrastructure uh, hmm. in this movie. Um, uh, that's kind of it. I guess, I don't know. Maybe there's some kind of like an anti, uh, you know, political sc scandal, <laughs> ending people's careers, something or other. <laughs> this is actually, this is 1996. There's probably some uh, 
Clinton era uh, <laughs> the white water, scandal, the yeah. whitewater influence on daylight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I no, I, I didn't pick up any subtext on this one, but I wasn't looking for any. That's fair. Um, I think it's just it's a it's a good old fashioned Hollywood movie about uh, about about heroism and, uh, you know, do, doing the right thing in the face of overwhelming odds. And uh, uh, yeah, and I and and I always do love the not just the the physical danger or the, you know, just the the very um kind of elemental drive to to not die. Uh, but I do love they always in these movies have as well. And again, this is also a diehard thing is that you've got uh, the bureaucrats breathing down your neck and saying, hey, we didn't give you permission to do this and all that, blah, blah, blah. And I think uh, this one definitely is in the grand tradition of, as you said, this is not glorifying the uh, pencil necks, but in the grand tradition of uh, of being anti-bureaucracy, there's, there's real... Um, suspicion of government oh yeah in I this think movie that's, i think that's a fair i i definitely think this this falls into that like post reagan era the government doesn't have your best interest at heart and there's right. too much red tape and that's why the only person who can fix it is this one guy who happens to be disgraced who's from been government. canceled yeah <laughs> this is a movie about cancel culture actually yeah this is a movie about cancel culture and how we are losing all of our best men to pointless uh mm-hmm to pointless criticism rob cohen make it setting uh. things up well in advance of his own cancellation <laughs> yeah i do think like i i think there's a you know i haven't watched enough movies from the 80s and 70s i've watched mostly just disaster movies from the 80s and 70s um so i can't speak to the overarching like trend in hollywood at the time but i do definitely think that like the sort of general distrust in the government and the general distrust in the expertise of others and that there's only one person and he has been discredited publicly, but he's the only one who knows the answers. I feel like that is very much like an example of kind of the direction yeah. that our disaster movies take in the 90s. Um, so I don't have a what is this really about, but I do definitely think this fits very neatly into sort of the direction that the canon goes um, particularly like the shift in terms of what we look for from a character, the main character. Um, and like we sort of move away from the communal solving of things, which is very much what happens in the 70s, the Irwin Allen movies. And we start mm-hmm. to go toward the like there's one man who can save everyone. Right. And that all lasts- of the normos are uh, idiots and uh they're just yeah. like sacks of potatoes you have to drag around. Exactly. Yes, you have to, you know, that you have to convince and convince that they have to leave their dead wife behind. Like, yeah. you know, that's very and then and then of course they'll turn around and leave you for dead. That is very much the the sort of like everyone's a coward except for our one hero vibe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I I I do think I do think ultimately when you're dealing with a Sylvester Stallone movie there's a degree to which it's like mm, there's not going to be a what is this really about? It's about Sylvester. It's about, Sly, no, it's about Sylvester. I mean, uh, the Rocky movies are about stuff on occasion. Yeah, but they're not oh, about subtext. Else? They're they're still pretty no. much about the text. I mean, I've only seen There's the first text, one, yeah. but still. Demolition again. Man has a lot going on. But again, yeah, the kind of the, the joy of that movie is that it is all very much text. Yeah. I just I don't think that there's I don't think there's un, not even like because what is this really about is ultimately about subtext that they didn't plan to have there. But you got to have something else there to hook on to it. 
and this didn't, I didn't have anything else. I think maybe you could make an argument for like, some of this is about the brutality of living in New York. And this is well, all yeah. a metaphor for the brutality of living in New York and like how hard it is to survive in that city. But I don't even think it's that really. I think that's a movie about one man who can save everybody. Sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. And then in terms of fantasy casting, the only thing I had, because I wasn't going to recast this whole film, but what I was going to do was I was trying to figure out who I could put this movie around. And you know who hasn't done a disaster movie yet, who I bet would be great in one? Your personal favorite. Oh. Ryan Gosling. <laughs> oh, so it was a joke is what you were doing. Yeah. yeah no, yeah. Gosling I love. Gosling would be great. Um, I think, uh, yeah, but I, I, I like the idea of Gosling, like, because there he does. No, be good. He does beleaguered so well. He's got sort of that like been punched in the face look to him. And then he's yeah. also very funny. And I feel like the one thing Sylvester Stallone doesn't do well is humor. And that is what this movie was missing. And there could yeah. have been more like seriously exhausted humor. That's sort of like, you know, when the tanker starts ro- running after him and that starts rolling after him after he's exploded and then got trapped. And there's so many different things that happen in that sequence. And you kind of yeah. want to see a reaction to the absurdity of it. You want to see a reaction to the absurdity of it when when, when, when he did so much setup to the my favorite thing. Yeah. And you said when you said Ryan, my brain autofilled Ryan Reynolds, oh. who I find to be one of the most annoying people on earth, and I, that's what I reacted to. Ryan Gosling would be great. I have no problem with Ryan Gosling. Yeah, um, I, I I figured you you know you like the nice guys. You're I a foremost do, yeah, nice I, guys apologizer. I do like the nice guys? Uh, I, I mean, me and. Seemingly everyone else on the internet loves the nice guys, yeah. uh, which is, it's a good movie. I like it a lot at that time in 1996. So this is, if you were asked, you could also update it. You don't have to remake could, it. You yeah. could, you, this is a, you know, if you want to remake it today or if you want to remake it in the eighties yeah. or the seventies or the fifties. Well, that's the thing about this movie is I think I love Stallone in it. Mm-hmm. But Stallone is kind of secondary to how much I just enjoy watching all the destruction and the water and all of that and just thinking about the the feat of production this was mm-hmm. so you could kind of slot in any slot in hanks hanks would have been fun slot in um you know this is right when they're putting george clooney in movies for the first time i mean he proved his movie star potential in that season two episode of er when he saves a kid from a drain tunnel in the water true this is this would have been a natural evolution go from small tunnel small amount of water to gigantic tunnel and gigantic amount of water. Um, I think he could have done it. Would this have uh, over, would that have maybe in like an alternate timeline prevented him from doing Batman? Uh, well, it would have maybe prevented him from doing the Peacemaker. Batman was 98, right? I think. I don't know. Again, I another movie I only watched recently, so I don't know. Um, I'm so jealous that you managed to not see any movies until now, because it seems fun to be able to watch all of these movies for the first time. It's kind of great, actually. As an adult. Especially, uh, like, having yeah. zero context about any of them, so I'm watching all of these with no idea what's supposed to happen in it, except for what I've heard yeah. for 30 years about them. Like, so <laughs> yeah. much fun. No one told me that speed involves so many different modes of transportation. Oh. I didn't even know. They get through all of them. They no, get I mean, so I, many. I, I think this movie has fun enough bones that you could kind of drop any... Cruise, Cruise would be great in a movie like this. Oh, uh, yeah. Costner, I mean, I've been thinking of people, you know, at that kind of at that time. Yeah. More, but I don't know. I just think um, you can kind of put anybody and plop them into this mm-hmm. 
this setup. And that's, you know, kind of proven historically with these big omnibus uh, disaster movies is you can just grab almost anybody. Yeah. And they'll kind of just bring whatever their persona is to it. And it'll work because it's inherently interesting to kind of see what a bunch of different kinds of person, you know, how they react to in situations like this. Um, Schwarzenegger, honestly, anybody would have been good. I was reading in the IMDb trivia, which is, you know, grain of salt. But that apparently Rob Cohen wanted uh, Nicolas Cage to play Kit Loria. Uh, And the 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 studio bosses uh, said that he was more of a character actor and not really a lead action star. Yeah. Uh, so then it was Stallone. Of course, then uh, night between 1996 and 1997, over the course of I think 13 months, The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off all come out. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Nicholas Cage proving uh, he's certainly capable of uh, being an action star. But the thing is, is that even in all three of those, which again only recently just saw. He is being a character actor. He is not like that. And Nicolas Cage energy contained in a tunnel would have been too much. That is too much (laughs) Nicolas Cage in one space. You're worried about people not being able to breathe. Yeah. Nicolas Cage in a tunnel. Yeah, like I'm that's just claustrophobic at that point. Like he can get out by just chewing his way through the Holland Tunnel, would be the solution. Uh, yeah um, and also like Schwarzenegger as a set does not work for me only because I don't think of Arnold Schwarzenegger does not strike me as a buoyant man mm, and that's the only way I can is that why he's not in the Avatar movies I think so I just he doesn't seem like he can float yeah I don't I think that you drop Arnold Schwarzenegger in a pond and he sinks I'm trying to think of if I've ever seen (laughs) do we know that Arnold Schwarzenegger can swim like do we have definitive proof of these things it would be wild if he couldn't swim, considering how much of his personality he has made, like, physical fitness. Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't think it's from an He inability. was at one time a government official in the realm. I mean, he was the governor, but I think before that, wasn't yeah. he, like, the president's physical fitness advisor? <laughs> yes. Yeah, during the, for the 90s for the presidential fitness test. <laughs> a test that single-handedly ruined running for an entire generation. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'm trying to think of... I'm trying to conjure a mental image of him... In or near water. Yeah. He must swim. Does he swim in um, True Lies? I think he swims in True Lies. Oh, does he, he swim or does he wade? Well, because he comes up in like a wetsuit, right? To sneak into that party. And then he takes the wetsuit off oh, and he's right. got his tux on underneath. Mm-hmm. So I think he does some wet work in True Lies, maybe. But like, we don't physically see him swim is my thing. Yeah, maybe not. I don't. Like, I just, yeah. I, I, I think he knows the mechanics of how to swim. I don't think he physically is buoyant enough to swim. Yeah. I'm looking, he like gets in a puddle in Predator. It's kind of more mud than yeah, swimming. Yeah, that's not Yeah, swimming. I don't know. Maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger has never swam on camera. I think this is, I think this is a job for the listeners to uh, respond and and let us know. If Arnold if I, Schwarzenegger, if we're missing some iconic Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, swimming material. I'm going to ask if I ever see I'm, my life goal now is to run into Arnold Schwarzenegger somewhere in town just so I can be like, I have to ask you a very, very just strange question. Throw sir. a bucket of water on him and see if he freaks <laughs> out. <laughs> He's actually hydrophobic. It's fine. Yeah, I need to know this now. But I yeah, I can't, it's the only one like I can't I can't imagine Arnold. I can understand him as a as a leading man in that, but I can't actually see him because in my head, he also couldn't have fit through the fans. Like you have to change those vent, the fan 
oh, no. it dramatically and make it. That's the that's interesting not- thing about Sly is he he was somehow able to be just as ripped as Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. but just like a little bit more lean. I think looking. it's because his neck proportion was a little thinner. So like uh-huh. because the neck doesn't look so he doesn't have the hulking shoulders. He just looks like a really fit dude and not like a mound of meat, you yeah. know? And that's that's the distinction. Sylvester Stallone looks like the most ripped dad you've ever met. And Arnold Schwarzenegger looks like a different creature in yeah. like in his heyday. Like there's just nothing about him that feels human in the same way that like Sylvester Stallone kind of feels like a guy you could maybe have seen. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that was always his. That's always what what you know, it's kind of separated him from Schwarzenegger. Was he was just a guy is a guy yeah. from the fucking neighborhood who uh made it happen but he has that that every is able to maintain sort of that everyman quality kind of uh incredibly throughout all these movies where he just played uh unkillable you know heroes yeah he still has there's something uh yeah very recognizable about him yeah absolutely and so i do th- like uh, but otherwise i agree like if most of the fantasy casting you rattle off i'm on board with but as soon as you see the Schwarzenegger, my brain was just like nope yeah nope he sinks he now, can't swim if I could have, if I could recast basically the entire uh, group of uh, survivors, mm-hmm. oh please, almost anybody would be better. <laughs> than, <laughs> these than a people lot of them. are not. These people are not terrific. I love J.O. Sanders, but like, give me uh, almost anybody else, and I'm like, that's equally as good. Yeah, yeah, I think that's you fair. Know. Yeah, Bill I Macy, mean... get Bill Macy in there. Sure, get him wet. Why not? Man, has Bill Macy ever been wet? I think now I, I'm going to spend the rest of my night thinking of actors <laughs> and trying yeah. to th- see if I can think of a time where they have been wet head to toe on on film. I mean, Bill Macy does strike me as someone who who maybe only exclusively floats like a cork in water. Like he just uh-huh. kind of bobs at the surface, you right. know? He like tries. He like can't do like water rings because he's just too, he's too, too, light. too buoyant. Yeah. 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 And but he also. Yeah, I think that's. That sort of tracks for me. So yeah. I'm on board with Bill Macy. I think he gets wet in Jurassic Park 3. I think they all do. Oh, they all do. They all because do because the, the Spinosaurus. The Spinosaurus because... attacks is the, like the boat at the end and they're in the, the water mm-hmm. and they've got the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Bill Macy's been wet. Yeah, He's he fine. can swim. He's fine. All right, good. <laughs> you're just going to solely, you're only going to assess actors from now on on whether or not you've seen them swim. That's yeah. going to be your main, ma- your matrix now for things. Yeah. I'm glad. And, and I like, I like adding to it the how buoyant they are. Uh, scale also i think that's an important aspect of it because it's not about whether or not i've seen arnold schwarzenegger wet it's do i think he would be able to swim or would he sink to the bottom the minute he was in water over his head yeah yeah and that's where that falls for me is arnold schwarzenegger too dense Mm -mm. straight to the bottom straight absolutely (laughs) is now i'm thinking isn't there a movie where he isn't there a movie is it one of the is it like terminator 3 or something what am I thinking of? Where he? I don't oh, know. No, I'm thinking I of a Star it. Trek movie. I'm thinking of. <laughs> I was like, "There's a movie where a robot go." There's a joke where they sink straight to the bottom of a body of water, and then they just walk up out, and like, and it's it's Star Trek uh, Insurrection that happens in. All right, good. <laughs> but yeah, so that's... Brent Spiner has. I've seen him head to toe soaked. He's okay. he's he's good in my book also. Great, I'm glad. I could see Arnold Schwarzenegger sinking to the bottom of something and then walking along the bottom until he emerges. That does yeah. track for me. And I like could see fish that. are going by and yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's just like walking along the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Okay. So is there anything else about daylight that bef- 
before we rate it that you're like, I need to mention this. This is one of my favorite parts of the movie or anything else that you just got to get off your chest before we get to rating? Not really. My favorite parts of the movie are when they kind of go into that uh, like living quarters for the guys mm-hmm. who built the tunnel in the 20s or whatever. And I like I like the end when they uh, when he pushes his arm into the big mud wall. I think that's yeah. very fun. I. I, I really do like just I like going for the ride. I think the movie's maybe five or six minutes too long. An hour and 55 minutes is. But again, these are famously long movies, these disaster movies. Yeah. Because you have so many uh, set pieces and so many characters to introduce and whatnot. But I do. And I, 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 I do think I someone I would not recast is Vigo. I think Vigo's great. I think he's very funny. Uh, and I think it is an interesting character. It, it, sh- it shows the audience how serious this is. This guy is a real trained athlete spelunker he's got all of his equipment and all this shit and then he gets killed by that that's another great a great build that like narrow thing with the big pieces swinging down and all that oh yeah um no i love that i love that part too and and all the pyrotechnics i just that's another thing you know when was the last time you saw real fire in a movie (laughs) not not in this abundance in a while no no not for 10 years um You, you used to put actors, you used to have to actually insure actors. Uh, I bet I bet the insurance companies fucking, you know. They love hate. CGI, yeah. Well, they love CGI because they don't have to pay out ever, but they probably hate it because nobody's taking out these gigantic insurance uh, things on actors anymore because That's they're not, not doing anything dangerous. It's true. They're not. And it, I mean, the, the counterpoint to that is the in the 70s when they were just like, yeah, it doesn't matter. We'll just shoot fire directly at these actors we need to go back to a nice middle ground of the 90s where like we had controlled flame in the vicinity of actors that's what the actors might like twist their ankle or something but yeah like keep it safe but give them like a little bit of fear yeah just a little i want to see it on their faces yeah i agree (laughs) it helps the performance i mean listen there's only so not everyone can be as good of an actor as as like a meryl streep so sometimes you gotta have fire yeah that's what it comes down to. Sometimes you just got to confront them with the flame. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you got to bring out the flame. <laughs> All right, M- so- Meryl, she can create her own flame. She yeah, she she can she can she can see the spark regardless of if it's there or not. But anybody yeah. else know, you're going to need to actually have real fire. Yeah. Get them get them wet. It's what it takes. So out of speaking of flames, towering infernos, you get five towering infernos. You can do quarters, you can do halves. How yeah. many towering infernos are you giving daylight? Um, wh- how many Targaryen Infernos did like Dante's Peak get? I, I I'm, I'm curious about you. like the the relative scale. Okay, it's really, yeah. it's you know, it's it's honestly the scale is all over the place. It's kind of like it's kind of a mix of how satisfying do you personally find this movie? Right, do you think it accomplished what it set out to accomplish? In terms of other movies, kind of of its ilk, how does it do relative yeah. to it? So, you know, in my head, I'm comparing it to that group of movies that I rattled off uh, yeah. earlier, where where um, the actors are um, submerged or partially submerged for a good chunk of the runtime. Sure. Um, so I'd say in terms of Tiring Infernos or perhaps in this case, Poseidon Adventures, I <laughs> would give this, I would give it a four. I would give it a four, which is, I think is about the same as I would give a, like a hard rain. Um, Titanic is a five, obviously. I think Crawl's like a four and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, these are. This is a good. This is a good movie, and I will watch it again. Like I've I've seen it twice, and I will, like you, I will rewatch it. I think it's a lot of fun. I think 
maybe if it played on cable more, people would have some more affinity for it or something. I'm not sure exactly why this one has not enjoyed the reputation reassessment that a well twister was a bigger hit at the time than this was uh but like twister has all this this you know uncomplicated love for it dante's peak i feel like people are have Mm -hmm. real strong um positive feelings about even volcano has a movie that was largely forgotten or dismissed at the time has gotten kind of a reappraisal to some degree i feel like daylight hasn't outside of this conversation we just had so um I, I I hope Daylight is 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 next up in that uh, in that that lineage. Yeah, I agree. It, it I, I it is a you know there's a lot of these movies are such good cable movies, and I've referenced many times how much this like this is a movie that feels like I would start watching halfway through. I say that all the time about these movies because they are. This is a perfect cable movie, though. I was gonna go three and a, three and three quarters, three point seven five to four. I was kind of debating. I tend to go really high on movies, so I was like maybe I shouldn't do a four. But I'd be very happy giving it a four. It was I watched it again twice in two months. It was fun both times. The second time I watched it, not that closely. And I still had a great time. Like I watched the entire uh, the the explosion sequence. I made sure to like I'm going to watch this and pay attention to it because it deserves that. And then everything else I was like, I can kind of get up and like unload the dishwasher and come back and I'll be fine. It was a great time, though. Strong, great strongly time. recommend, you know, was was pleasantly surprised, too. I was not expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. Yeah, 3.75. Yeah, because it, it has basically, it enjoys basically no reputation at all. It's yeah. one of those movies that is not famously bad and not just, people just don't talk about it. I just had never heard of, I mean, nor, like Hard Rain I'd heard of before. Right. Most of the movies that get from the 90s of this kind of nature I've heard of, I just had never heard of Daylight. And in fairness, I do also think to a degree that the title does the movie a disservice because at no point does anyone mention we just got to get to daylight. Like there's no no one says the word daylight in this movie. Not that you need to. But if you're talking about a movie that's set in the Holland Tunnel while it is flooding entirely interior set in the beginning during the night because the whole everything happens at night. This is a movie without daylight until the last scene. Right. So I'm not totally tracking where the title comes in. So I do wonder if the title does a little bit of like a disservice to the movie itself in terms of yeah. getting people even to remember or to be like, oh, that's a movie about a tunnel collapsing. I should watch that. I think that that certainly contributes. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a it's a kind of a random title, but I don't know what titles are hard. I get it. I hate titles, yeah. but I don't Tunnel think is that... not an exciting word, really. No. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to do because you get it, you know, the towering inferno volcano. These like kind of descriptive mm-hmm. titles that are so um, evocative. <sighs> flood is kind of what you could call it. Flood? I don't yeah. know. Flood is kind of a weird word. Don't know. I don't know. Yeah, out of the. I don't deep have a good solution for this. Or something like something really yeah. like out of the deep or something that's really has nothing to do with anything. Kind of title would almost at that point make more sense. But yeah. it, I do think that to a degree, like daylight does the mood do the movie a disservice because it doesn't sound like it's what it's about. So no. I do wonder if that's part of it, but I'm thrilled that I've now seen it and can now be borderline evangelical about it. So thank you for that, Clay. Well, you're, you're welcome. And I was just delighted. Obviously, I a uh, uh, big fan uh, of, of you and of your former co-host, Jordan. And I just uh, uh, I wanted to be on the show. Yeah. Uh, and I kept pitching things. 
but things that you'd already done or people had already claimed or whatever. And I would just the opportunity to bring an entirely new option uh, to your attention was uh, was very fun. Yeah, this was great because it is it's like that thing of like, OK, we've got like seven titles that everyone wants, but this is one that no one had brought up and I never would have thought to watch otherwise. So thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And well, yeah, get this. Grab this Blu-ray. I mean, I, like. I, I punched in uh, Daylight because I was like, I need Daylight on Blu-ray. And the top option was you can either get Daylight for $14 or for $10, you can get Daylight and Dante's Peak. I was like, oh, this is a highlight of lockdown. Yeah, that, that's not even a question at that point. <laughs> like you would, day. you would be a fool not to take that offer. And I'm and I'm no fool. So no, that's no why fool. I have it right here in my hand. Dante's See? Peak and Daylight. See, good things came from the apocalypse. Like, what That's more could true. you ask for? You never would exactly. have bought that DV, the Blu-ray, if not for the apocalypse. That's what and, I say all the time. And now you can watch all of the uh, music videos. I am going to watch the music video. You better. Donna Summer, I'm, come on. Yeah, Dante Speak doesn't have a music video, which is, you know, I think that of that right there. Daylight. Yeah. D- uh, Daylight does have the edge up on Dante's Peak for that alone. Absolutely. Well, Clay, before I send you on your way, would you like to plug anything like your podcast, which I listen to occasionally, but I just don't listen to have enough time. I'm never in a car, so I never have enough time to listen to your podcast. Oh, unless I'm on like a serious road trip. That's fine. Your podcast, like for the record, great podcast. Love the concept. Don't have the attention span. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it, uh, you know, people often, uh, you know, say that it's good for, like you said, like a, like a long road trip Mm -hmm. or a flight or a uh, a a boring overnight uh, shift as like oh, a yeah. security guard or something um uh or people listen to it in uh, in in you know portions uh but yeah if you if if you like movies uh and you like games uh shows called screen drafts uh we have uh i, I don't know when this is going up is this going up soon or is this going to be banned yeah this for is going to no or? this is going to go up in not this week, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. Following Wednesday, so it'll still be October. We uh, we transform into scream drafts in October. It's all <laughs> it's all horror stuff. Uh, and coming up, we're gonna have a fun. Uh, we're doing some franchise drafts. We're we'll ranking all of the Saw movies Ooh. with um, Ben Meckler and Walter Holman and Megan Amram. Uh, and then we're closing out the month with a, a Halloween franchise draft uh, with uh, Elric Kane and Rebecca McKendry from uh, the. Colors of the Dark podcast, as well as Graham Skipper and uh, Billy Ray Bruton, some of our favorites on the show. Um, you've you've gone up against B- B- Billy Ray in the past, Amanda. Yeah, yeah, I have. That should once. be an exciting, an exciting time doing doing the Halloween thing. Um, yeah, that's what's coming up, and we have a Patreon. It's called the Screen Drafts Booster Club, where we've got uh, three bonus episodes of different uh, kind of spinoff series every month. That's five bucks. You can be a booster and join the community over there. And uh, yeah, that's. That's my plug. Awesome. And where can we find you on the internet and socials, please? Uh, I am still on uh, all the social media things. Actually, <laughs> I still have not updated uh, Twitter on my phone since it changed to X. <laughs> so Same. It's still the little bird on my phone. I'm going to see how long I can uh, I can hold out there. Uh, I'm on Twitter. It's at Clay Keller. Instagram is at Clay Keller. Letterboxd is at Clay Keller. And the show is at Screen Drafts. Very, very straightforward. Perfect. Um, well, Clay, thank you so much for coming, and it was great to have you on. Oh, uh, thank you for inviting me. And uh, yeah, I uh, um, look forward to uncovering another hidden gem for you in the future. Please. I don't know what hard rain is about, but it sounds like there's rain involved. So I feel like that oh, has to count. Oh, damn. Hard rain. Well, I mean, 
Well, I mean, I'm happy to claim Hard Rain here and now. Uh, Hard Rain is basically the original Hurricane Heist. It's 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 there's a like a storm of the century, uh, and some criminals use it as cover to rob uh, an armored car or something, and then a dam breaks, and this small town floods, and these criminals get trapped in this small town. Uh, and it's uh, Christian Slater is the hero. Uh, we've got Minnie Driver in this movie. Uh, wow. The bat, the lead bad guy is Morgan Freeman. Uh, it's got uh, Wilford Brimley in it. Oh, my God. Uh, it's what a, a is a great. It's got people um, driving jet skis through these uh, flooded hallways of a high school. This is extremely. It's a, great, it's, a gr- it's a great movie. Okay, yeah, this is that that <laughs> I might have to bring you back for that one. Uh, if we can make that work, that's gonna have to happen. Oh, absolutely. That's extremely a movie that we should cover on this podcast. So thank. Oh, you. for sure. Well, thanks again, Clay. Oh, thank you, Amanda. I'm gonna be taking next week off. Um, if you have followed me on social media, then you know that I have been working very hard on um, an abortion issue in the city of Beverly Hills. Um, if you follow me and you haven't yet signed that petition please sign the petition if you follow me and you hate that i'm doing this uh just don't tell me and <laughs> if you don't know what i'm talking about go to bh for choice on instagram and you can see what's going on or you feel free to message me or email me and i will be happy to talk to you about what i've been doing um but things with that have been really really busy and i just need like a week of to focus on on getting everything back and mostly restocking uh, inter- our episodes. So I've got a recording with Alex Steed coming up. I've got a recording with Matt Kolsky coming up. So one of the two of them will probably be our next episode back. I'm just not sure which it is yet. Um, and so I will be, the podcast will be back on um, October 25th. I had to stop and like look at a calendar because what is time? What is time at all? Anyway, so uh, episode we will be taking next, I will be taking next week off show will be back on october 25th with either um skyscraper with matt kolsky or piranha three double d with alex steed um in the meantime if you want to find the podcast we're disaster underscore pod on twitter it's disaster girls uh on blue sky i am amanda smith says on twitter i'm amanda smith on blue sky um and then of course please if you haven't already give us five star rating and review it's super helpful to me and check out our uh, merch store, which is disastergirls.myshopify.com. And I'll see y'all back uh, on October 25th. Thanks. Bye.